Hi, Engineer Joe here. Just wanted to let you guys know for this particular episode, Jason was calling from a car with a hands-free Bluetooth, and unfortunately, that Bluetooth microphone clips a lot during this episode. I cleaned it up as much as I could, but uh, there's really not too much I could do, so our apologies, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Peter Park Quarterly Slush Pile. Uh, we thank you for joining us, and um, we tell you that we take more time than other editorial boards. It'll be a while once you submit, but the gratitude you'll feel after you hear this and understand how much time we take um, in conversation about your work, uh, that I hope you'll still feel honored and respected as we do for receiving your work. Um, so welcome to our editorial table. Uh, our, our sound studio is still under construction. I don't know how many times I'll have to say those words to you, but here we are huddled around the black ravioli, um, in my office, my windowless office. And, um, the me and the I that keeps speaking here is Kathleen Volkmiller. And I am a uh, director of the graduate program in publishing here at Drexel and um, a memoir writer and editor with uh, Marion and Jason for um, 20 some years. So um, hi and thanks for listening and uh, on the couch today is Tim Fitz. Hi I'm Tim Fitz. I'm the author of The Soju Club and Hypothermia and I've been reading for the Panda Bride Quarterly for about four years I teach freshman writing here at Drexel and creative writing at Curtis Institute of Music. And sitting next to me is Cherie. Yeah, let me just say, Cherie DeVos is um, going to be our next editorial assistant. So you're going to be hearing her voice on, on several upcoming episodes. And this is a transition episode for us because we're saying goodbye to Sarah Eichett. Um, at least for a little while, she's leaving her co-op position and Cherie is taking over. So Cherie... Can you tell us anything at all about yourself from the couch? <laughs> uh, my name is Cherie DeVos, um, and I am a pre-junior in International Area Studies. Um, and I have a concentration in literature, culture, and the arts, and minor in Spanish. And um, I'm working on my second co-op now, um, about two, and I don't know what else you might want me to say. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good enough. You'll be able to say other things as we go along. Um, Sarah. Yes, hello. Hi. <laughs> um, my name is Sarah Eichett, and I am a third-year English teacher <coughs> at Drexel University. I'm the current editorial assistant, and Cherie can pry my title from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> um, I've, been, <laughs> I've been reading for PBQ for about a year now, almost, um, and it's been a great time. So I hope to be on more podcasts, despite no longer uh, working full-time for PBQ. Yeah, and we hope to have you. Um, so... Uh, Loyal listeners, you'll know that I love when we're doing something new and we're doing something really new right now because, Jason, where are you and what are you doing? I am currently on the 278. I'm about to cross over from Staten Island into New Jersey because I'm on my way to read the Virginia Festival of the Book. So I am coming to you while driving. It is so exciting to me somehow. And I mean, safe. And safe. <laughs> I, I, and safe. Um, and not dangerous, 
because it is hands free and I will put drive I will prioritize driving um, and safety. But um, no, this is this is actually working out very well. I had intended to be further along in the trip and I thought I could pull over and just stop on I ninety five, but because of traffic and because of when I started, um, the only option was to come to you directly from the road. And I am associate editor at Painted Bright Quarterly and I am an associate professor at the Borough of Manhattan Community College, and I've been with PBQ a long time. Right. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> we'll leave yeah. it there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your uh, your loyalty and for calling in and joining us. So uh, with, with no further ado, we have um, one poem by one poet and then two poems by another. And I think um, uh, Tim Fitz has graciously uh, volunteered to read the first one. Okay, the author's name is, the poet's name is Faisal Yehudin, and the title of the poem is The Riddle of Longing. When to be an immigrant's son is to be a speaker of several broken tongues, each day leaves you homesick for a place you've never touched nor forgotten and feel the ache to know. When there's no one left, you ask the wind for directions. Your own voice returns your wish with a map of your mother's palms spoken into threads of blue light. Take the long way home through the cemetery. There, kiss your father's name, bring back an echo of pain and a phlox. When years later your son finds it crushed within a book, he will feel against his face a warm puff of breath, yours, then a wink of green wings behind his eyes. Strange that I am holding two large rocks, looking for something else sacred to smash open. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for that eloquent reading. Um, this is uh, in two line stanzas. It's a long, skinny poem. It, it's what I call a scratch and sniff poem because it looks just like a poem, right? Um, and uh, boy, it sounded like one too. Thank you. So I like that title, The Riddle of Longing. <laughs> The image of the stones at the end is really wonderful. Mm -hmm. I really like that image, and particularly the kind of the, um, the suspension that it waits. Yeah. So mostly just a does a fantastic job of pulling you in right away. Like after the third stanza, I was immediately like, yes, I'm here for this. Mm -hmm. So excellent. Can you read those opening lines just one more time? I just want to hear those opening lines one more time. Sure. When to be an immigrant's son is to be a speaker of several broken tongues, each day leaves you homesick for a place you've never touched nor forgotten and feel the ache to know. It's so direct. It's really great. What's that? It's it's so direct. I mean, it's just it's yeah. just very. I mean, I feel yeah. like a lot of times, um, you know, we get hung up on kind of flowery language or embroidery, or, um, and I feel like a lot of times the most accomplished poems are the ones that just feel spoken. But yeah. just, uh, someone had to tell you something, and they did. And in those lines, it never really happened. <clears throat> And I think it's really difficult to write about something, anything like this. We're talking about death, loss, longing, 
you know, not knowing your your place, right? All of these things to walk the line between, you know, great articulation and sentimentality and not and not lean too deep into yeah. uh, sentimentality. I think that she's boy, is she on that balance? Is he on that balance theme? My goodness. I'm really impressed by that part of it. I also feel like um, having traveled to a number of countries and lived abroad and having known people from different cultures who are in this situation, my mind immediately goes to identify those people. And they're all different ethnicities. They're people who have brought up in Korea. I know a lot of people in Korean families who are raised by immigrant parents who uh, who aren't wonderful speakers of English as far as uh, linguistically, nor Korean, because the Korean wasn't spoken at home. And yeah. a lot of times they end up in my ESL classes at Temple. And usually they're great writers and they have interesting things to say, um, but they've been stuck in these classes because of this this issue here. And, they, and there's always kind of a lost feeling that they talk about. It yeah. smells a lot like this, seems a lot like this. I agree with you, Tim. I think one of the reasons the first few lines spoke out to me is because I'm also the child of an immigrant. My father came to this country when he was about like 25 years old. Um, and he has, his English is very broken. Um, he can't really write well in his um, first language either because it was just a spoken language. He didn't really go to school. So, um, and I think that's what this poem does so effectively is that it, it tells the story of so many people um, in a way that's gentle, but also um, telling, correct, so. Yeah, and you know, you just made me realize we don't know, we don't know the nationality, yeah. right? And it yeah. doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter, yeah. Because the feeling's the same. But it doesn't surprise me that the writer has something interesting to say because those students always have something interesting to say. <laughs> they right. observe the world totally different than yes. the people around them. Yeah, yeah, but you guys, those lines, Bring back an echo of pain and a flux. Mm-hmm. When years later your son finds it crushed within a book, he will feel against his face a warm puff of breath, yours. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that is gorgeous. And that can be anyone, anybody, you know, right? The universality and the specificity of that is just. So beautiful, so wonderfully braided. What do you make of the ending with the two large rocks looking for something else sacred to Spanish? What do you? (laughs) Well, I see kind of. What's that? What's that, Jason? Oh no, I I was going to say that I I think that. so much of the work of the poem is a kind of suspension, right? That like these stories often seem less important, but they're they're in suspension. They will return. The way you open the book, it's there, but then the, the final image emphasizes emphasizes the brokenness that something is, is being destroyed, right? And even in kind of playing with the shards or in kind of keeping that that idea that you know everything persists, it persists in broken state. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And you guys see um, listeners uh, remember as well that, of course, you can look at these poems 
on our podcast pages on our site so that you can um, read along. But that eye, strange that I am holding two large rocks, that's the first time we've got the eye. And, and what an image to finally see the speaker. <clears throat> and I think I like the way the eyes at the end, because one of the risks of first person, I think, is this: if it was too early, it would be about the eyes experience instead of the universal experience mm -hmm. of the poem. And it, mm -hmm. I don't care mm -hmm. as much. I don't I don't see all the other the people that I know yeah. who are in this situation. Right. Here, the, the, the poet gets away with both by saving it. Yeah. It's a nice move. All right, gang. I think we might be ready to vote. And we do have two longer right. to look at. So um, let's do it to it. You ready? We're going to in the studio. <laughs> One, two, three, vote. Ladies and gentlemen, no surprise that that is a unanimous yes. <laughs> Champagne court sound effect. Um, so exciting. Thank you so much. Uh, face well done, team. What, darling? I said well done, team. Yeah, yeah, that was just, that was wonderful. Okay, so, um, so our next poem, our next poet is... Shayla Lawson, and um, I do feel compelled to describe this poem because the title is Pyramids, and every stanza kind of looks like half a pyramid, does it not? Huh. They're little, um, they're, it's, uh, uh, what am I saying? Isosceles triangles, right? It's not an isosceles. Well, you know, I don't teach freaking geometry. I should never went there. Algebra, which 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 they're, they're place right. do we learn about the shapes? I don't know. What is this called? They're, right. they're just right. white triangles. And I was trying to be fluent. Yeah. Okay. Well, what she did, you see, is she stacked up the there are a lot of triangles in trigonometry. Trigonometry. <laughs> Math. You're always making triangles to measure the heights of trees. Mm. I don't know this stuff. And I don't <laughs> rightly care. So I'm just telling you that these are half triangles, half pyramids. Um, and there's many of them. So yeah, it's, it's a two and a half page um, poem all written in these tight little groupings of um, five lines. Can I ask a question about the poem before we read it? Of course. About this issue of right triangles. <laughs> yeah. Idling the pyramid. Yeah. If I'm reading this for the first time over the submittable page. Yeah. To me, I would, I, I, I would find myself like one strike against it, just visually, because it, bother, it bothers me a little bit that, I, I mean, of course, if they're arranged in a pyramid form, that would bother me more. <laughs> well, it does, it, like a, it, it is, it does, I mean, I'm, I'm open to it still before I read it. I'm all, my mind's always ready to be changed. Right. Is it like a trying too hard kind of thing, kind of feeling? Um, this is what I have to say, and this is what I tell my students, too. If you're going to be tricky and devicey, 
please don't let that be the only thing you've got going on. Definitely. Right? If all I get is is the device, aha, you made triangles. And then, right. then it isn't valuable, right. you know. Um, I think that I would, I, I, I understand that you come in with a POV yeah. going, oh yikes, what is this going to be about? But I would still give it a second and see if it, um, if if it might have more. to be a service to emotion. Right, mm-hmm. right. Does the form fit the content? So if there were pyramids, I'd probably drop the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, all I'm right. Curious. Well, that's another reason why PBQ has a democratic editorial policy, <laughs> and Tim Fitz is not the only person with a vote. That's true. Yeah. As yeah. is Kathleen. Kathleen Bookmiller isn't either, and I'm really grateful for that, even though I get outvoted from time to time. So, um, uh, certainly, uh, I do. Um, but let's let's get in it. All right. This is a uh, Shayla Lawson pyramids. Pyramids. The Jesus I know died on a pole. He was not a god. He did not want to be. He told the thief hanging beside him, welcome to paradise, that all the man could see were pyramids, cheetahs, thrashing their wild tails like an angry mob. I mean, What's the difference between the king of all kings and the Lord of man and the God of your last will and testament? In my favorite stripper fantasy, Cleopatra wears spots and scaffolds around you like a vortex. I lick her cheetah paws and lap dance into your arms like the baddest deity of your dreams. You enter me first with a tail I have grown, and I am as much an animal as a diamond. Solid, hard, and pure. The way you say my name in bed, you curse every god you've ever met. What's the difference between a woman set loose and a loose woman, and a woman who crowns herself pharaoh of a country that is not hers? The Jesus I know is not the kind of insurgent Jerusalem expects after all that time building the pyramids. You are Samson when I pull your hair. I blind your eyes and the pillars of your strength all crumble like a temple. In this way, I am the God you hail from champagne flutes to bathtub baptism. I wonder why, if we are gods ourselves, we revival, shout the names of men we worship only of necessity. I am only a woman when I complete you. I disrobe of all my God-given parts. I wake up folded in the shape of breasts and young men's jewelry. I know why I love only you and you and me and working out the pyramid scheme of my gold tone profanity. Whew, I need I need a cigarette. <laughs> ambition of that. Like let's just take a moment and just admire the ambition of that pose. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I haven't smoked in here, so like I'm not really like going to start again now, but... That is a fearless poet. That is yeah. a fearless poet taking on so much. So much. And, like, really high risk, right? Like, I mean, the risk of offense, the risk of being, you know, told that that's something you can't talk about, the risk of, uh, you know, like, there's so much risk in that poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a great way to start the conversation, Jason. Thank you so much for that. The, the fearlessness is what makes me get the arm hairs up, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, gosh. So Jesus and Pharaohs and women's sexuality and women's sexual power over men. And um, where do we begin? How do we how do we start to Sherry, what did you think? Um, well, uh as you guys have already said, it's a really like a fearless poem. And what had um struck me from the beginning was that this has to be a writer who knows the Bible, um, clearly. Um, because of all these examples and all of these, um, I guess, the um, references. Some people would call it blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think m- more of it's like, um, it's mostly a challenge, the way that I see it. Um, and this is similar to a lot of what I think we're finding nowadays with people who um, feel that they've been, um, I guess, indoctrinized. Um, and they think, you know, they um, believe that when they come into uh, better knowledge, um, aside from what their parents taught them and their grandparents and their aunts and uncles and start to think for themselves, um, a lot of them, I think, adopt some of these same thoughts. Um, but the difference between those people and um, this poet is that is the fearlessness because of the language that's used here. Um and another thing that um, is in one of the stanzas where it says, um, the difference between a woman set loose and a loose woman and a woman who crowns herself pharaoh of a country that is not hers. Um, that's not the complete uh, statement, but um, that term, a loose woman or a woman set loose, um, not only comes to me through like a sexual um perspective, but also in the way that this poem is written, because it's not being held by, um, I guess, those religious standards. And it's actually making, it's taking that fearlessness and writing all of these things down. So it's kind of like um, a person freeing freeing herself from all of the things that um, she was taught and socialized to to believe. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm getting from this writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, you just made me want to mention uh, listeners again. I so strongly suggest you go look at this. Um, Several words were in italics. Uh, Several words have uh, forward slashes between them. And I think that she's done really well with that. Not abusing that, not overusing it. The craft of when she uses it is is kind of brilliant. to continue on from where Sheree left off after the lines and a woman who crowns herself Pharaoh of a country that is not 
forward slash hurt. Yeah, I just think the use of that forward slash is perfect there. Um, so, so that's another, I mean, uh, do we call that a risk too, that she built this in triangles and, and, and risks, uh, editors like Tim Fitz reacting to that. And then, you know, the cleverness, oh, I'm so clever with my ITALs and my, you know, and my forward slashes, um, aside from the content, do we consider those devices risky too? I think they are, but. I think that this poet knows what she's about. And so I don't even think she, I don't even, when she's doing this, I don't even know if she's thinking to herself, oh, I'm so clever. You know, I think that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that this is the way that she needed to tell this story, that well, this is the way she needed to tell this. Part of the, the element of riskiness is that sometimes you pull it off and sometimes things are annoying. You know? right. sure. I, I find that's part of the poem annoying. The visual element gets on my nerves. But I like a lot of the things that are happening in the poem. Mm -hmm. you know, and at the end, I'm not really concerned too much with the visual part of it. Yeah. You know, I'm, <clears throat> there are parts of the poem that I like better than others. In some ways, I almost think I like this poem better if it was like cut up into three different poems. I'm not pushing to that. I'm not going there right now. But in my mind, I looking at I'm looking at it that way, and I'm not concerned with the um, with the shape of the stances. Listen, here's something that's interesting that's happening for the first time ever. Jason, who is driving, is not looking at the poem. So, yeah. Jason, darling, you're hearing about this. You've heard you heard me read the poem, you know, in a pure way, let's say, without yeah. the visuals. Um, what do you do? You have anything to say on that part of this? I, I do, <laughs> and I think that the poem is uneven. I think that it strikes wild, and I think that the experimentation at times you can feel like Tim was saying, it's incredibly successful. Like it's really powerful. And it even makes you a little uncomfortable um, in places, which I, I think it intends to do. And then in other places, like it feels like, oh, like we're just sort of, you know, trying something out here without quite achieving the same desired effect. So I can't really comment on like slashes and italics and, um, you know, the, the shape. The shape doesn't feel necessary to me. I mean, the idea of it sort of being in um, triangles doesn't feel important. Mm -hmm. um, but, but like I said, I'm not looking at the... Uh, unlike our listeners, um, I don't have the ability to just check it on the web because I would crash. Right, time. right. And I feel Possibly like I, I, I guess... I'm just, I'm just, um, you know. I'm not willing to take the risk. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, I'm protecting myself. I listen to podcasts in many contexts, but they're always while I'm doing something else, while I'm driving, while I'm commuting, while I'm washing dishes, right? So I would also not be looking. And that's why I thought your response would be interesting. Um, I'm fairly conservative when it comes to things like punctuation and capitalization and line breaks. I mean, I think like Kevin Young, um, his work, he never capitalizes like gorgeous, um, totally works. I think, you know, like with, I think it's Alice Notley with the, the slashes, you know, totally work. But by and large, I, I think that, um, you know, lines are great. <laughs> Just like kind of go with what you got. Yeah. 
Yeah. One thing I do like about the riskiness of the poem is that it does uh, require some riskiness of the reader as well. I mean, to in order to come to this poem objectively, um, yes, it is either blasphemous or borderlines blasphemous. And a nice chunk of the readership will re look at this and say, I'm not even going to go there. Mm -hmm. So it does take, so when I was reading the poem this morning, I was thinking parts of it I didn't like, and then I had to examine, is that me not liking it because of what I'm bringing to the poem? Or is this objectively right. uh, something that I don't like? And so I don't want to, there's certain parts of myself that I want to bring to a poem because it's going to be, is or is not going to be published in the magazine. But certain parts I did have to leave out. There's no question that it's blasphemous. It denies the divinity of, of Jesus Christ. And in Christian context, that is blasphemy. Um, I yeah. love poems that are blasphemous, and I love poems that are about faith, because they bring the same energy. Yeah. Um, blasphemy and faith require the same emotional investment in the question of your place in the universe. Mm, that's it, beautiful. It requires, <laughs> it requires, yeah, it requires the reader to come to their own terms on the subject. You can't just walk Absolutely. through life liking everything. Right. Or disliking everything. Yeah. Right. Or immediately judging and rejecting everything either. Tim Fitz. <laughs> I think there is some a reverence too, though, which is interesting. You know, I think that, oh, yeah. like, despite it being blasphemous in through a Christian or a Catholic lens. Like, definitely, if I had my Roman Catholic grandparents read this, they would have a stroke. But there is a way in which she gives reverence to God, I think, and also reverence to the human body and reverence to herself, which within, because I'm bringing my Roman Catholic upbringing to the table for this poem, um, that is something that's that doesn't happen within a lot of circles of faith, like a reverence for the, the female body. Um, yeah. It's just like a beautiful um, tension and balance between that blasphemy and reverence um, that I think she personally, I think she captures very well. Yeah. I was raised Catholic as well. And I'm with Sarah. I see as much reverence as blasphemy. It, it doesn't. Um, I think the female is celebrated and that there's no problem with that. Like, I don't know that that goes against God or Jesus or, you know, I don't know. The part that bothers me about that is the stripper fantasy. Why does it, why can't it just be a woman instead of a, a stripper? Why can't it be a stripper? Why can't it be a stripper? A stripper is a specific yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's again, reverence too. That line. Absolutely. The use of, the, the use of stripper. Is I don't know. The, the, like the, and the where it comes in the poem. Is, a little, is getting a little tired. Say that again? I'm just getting bored with like the empowered stripper image. <laughs> oh, but, but it's in, in my favorite stripper fantasy. In my favorite stripper fantasy. That's what I like about it. Stripper Repeat that. I think it's a disempowering stripper fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't. I don't think that this is an empowered stripper. I think that like this is a bad fantasy. Like this is a fantasy about power exchange and control and someone performing for you because you're paying them. Like I think that. Yeah. Um. I mean, Kathy was was calling it out as kind of like female power over men, uh, uh, the power of female sexuality over heterosexual men. Mm -hmm. Which I think is definitely there, but like I I think this is sort of a. a 
self-consciously bad fantasy in which, like, there is exploitation and there is um, monetary exchange and there is, you know, the, the buying and selling of, of your desire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why pretend those things don't exist? I guess that's what I'm saying. We're talking about the fearlessness. I guess we've never, we haven't used the word honesty. Like I like, it's just kind of brutally honest Mm -hmm. in a way that I appreciate. So gang, we've got one more by the same poet. So I I think we should vote. Are you ready? One, two, three, vote. Oh, it's in. I was holding my breath. Listeners, I was holding my breath. I was so scared. I was going to write a note to the people in the room and say, MFers, you better vote yes. So, thank God I didn't have to resort to violence. Um, so, whew, all right, that, that, I'm exhausted. Somebody else is going to have to read the next one. We've got another one by the same poet, and there's no funky construction, nor are there funky fonts. Um, there's some like, fonts in there. There's some funky fonts. Oh, yeah, there's a, yes, that's right. She likes italics, I guess. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Oops, I take it back. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Stand corrected. It just looked so <laughs> traditional. I forgot that she did, in fact, add some forward slashes and italics to this one as well. But it's uh, much more traditional in its format. Um, so this is five line stanzas of consistent consistent length of line um and sarah would you read it for us sure thank you shayla lawson american wedding i check out my reflection laced in bubble foam on the passenger side window of a faded mustang i hand rinse beside the third bungalow i'll i'll occupy as a new bride the automobile never gets clean and i still wear the veil A tiny diamond toils around my ring finger, catches sludge from the bucket as it wipes in water. I get very good at being arranged. I learn more and more about what you make when you need to gain less and less. Like television in America, I am wonderful with beginnings. In the faint melody before the rewound cassette, I hear the threefold harmony that floated me down the aisle. I carry a Bible and a girl who imagines a marriage like Christ gave the bride class. I don't understand when I'm given away. I ask the first boy who ever wanted my hand about our generation so littered in tattoo. He tells me people are tired of trying to find ways to keep magic inside them. But I have no use for supernatural forces. I question the detail in every ritual. I am terrified of what might possess me. A month into my very own divorce, I have daydreams of a needle flood with ink. The permanence, imagine my nostalgia. I crush a fountain pen, watch my soul disperse into a deep blue ocean. All righty. So I like that ending as well. Thank you for that reading. Um, 
This one is not as clear cut. No. And it came up for me around the divorce. It does what around the divorce? It, it, it came up for me around the divorce. Like a lot of the other images, like sort of didn't work for me as well. Like sort of the the questioning of the ring, and you know, kind of feeling like the the way in which marriage is is you know kind of invested in all these like weird patriarchal norms. The woman is given away. Um, you know, it's it, it technically, I, I believe. Legally, that's the origin of, of social death, that a, a married woman is technically socially dead uh, because she takes on her husband's identity. But then it kind of picks up for me around the um, the divorce that I kind of got engaged again. I'm not sure I love the tattoo part. It felt like a little too um, explanatory for me, like, you know, keeping magic inside. I don't know. That didn't feel quite right to me. Yeah. What was the first thing you said, Sarah? It was less focused? Clear cut. Yeah, clear cut. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll it's use the word focused. focused. It's less focused than the other one, this even though the other focused. one. This is more focused? It's all about marriage. Yeah. Everything is about marriage. And, I don't know. And, you know, I mean, the theme is, is obvious. It's about marriage and divorce. But I think her thoughts on that theme are what, that's what's not clear cut to me. Like, I'm not exactly sure how she feels whereas in in the first poem i knew i was with her the whole time i knew exactly what she was trying to tell us this one i'm not so sure yeah which is funny i mean i yeah. think i'm again i'm with sarah subject matter shorts on one thing but i don't know what my message is and and maybe there are just so many images you know the the mustang and the bungalow and the diamond and i still wear a veil and i don't you know boy do i see a lot of possibility in this poem I have a real hard time caring about other people's marriages. <laughs> I mean, I don't really care how you do it. I don't care who marries who. As, I mean, it doesn't it just doesn't. I guess. So when Rangelina broke up, you felt nothing. Right. <laughs> Did you feel but, something? <laughs> but you felt nothing I, when Rangelina broke up. I felt nothing. I'm with Tim on that. But the thing is, <laughs> Oh my God! All right. So, I, so in other words, I don't care about most of this poem. However, there are two places that I was sort of shocked at how much I cared, and that was that, like television in America, I'm wonderful with begin, wonderful with beginnings. I, there are a hundred thousand times I've thought, I can't believe how bad this show sucks. The last fifteen minutes, because the first fifteen minutes were awesome. Yeah, I yeah. thought that all. Well, I think that line made me laugh aloud. That is a great idea. Yeah. And like television in America, I am wonderful with beginnings. And then saying like, uh, my asked about our when our generation became so littered in tattoo, like. Because tattoos used to separate different types of people, and it wasn't Absolutely. necessarily good or bad, but there were certain things about them that you knew. Yeah. And now it's like, I, I was working at this cafe a couple months ago. There's a skinny little white kid, and he was bragging about how awesome it was going to be when he got a full back tattoo. Yeah. And everyone's looking at him like, you're a geek now. You will die a geek. Like, you can get as many <laughs> tattoos as you want. You're just a kind of gimpy loser. And he was telling everybody in the store about his back tattoo. And I thought, this tattoos mean nothing now. When you get a tattoo, you have yeah. killed tattoo culture. Anyway, so I love that it's just a poem that, that does. <laughs> so prolific. That's the situation. They like, used to have more meaning yes. when there were less of them. I, I do, do agree. But like a poem Wait, that so I don't really care about. 
What's that? What was the back tattoo going to be of? Uh, I, at that point, some neurons fried in my head, and I just couldn't <laughs> focus anymore. This is uh, the most but, important detail of the story for me. What was the back tattoo? I, wait, but hold, but hold on, hold on, Jason. <laughs> what I, my point for this is, I want to lock this down, is that there's a poem that I don't care about, but I know people do care about, and it has two moments that I don't really care what the uh, these two poems these two moments I like so much that I feel like if we're if for me personally to get to those points is worth reading it and I would remember that I'll remember mm. these I would remember these a year from now you really can, bring this up what's the other moment the television moment what other one? Tele television moment and uh generation littered with tattoos oh interesting and I'm not anti people having tattoos it's just you sounded like it a second it's, ago it's darling nice. It's noise. I think the coffee shop dude's tattoos were going to be angel wings. Yeah, okay, that I'm just throwing that out there. Tiger. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sidebar, should I get angel wing tattoos? Um, pick that up later. What I was going to say is about the poem, coming back, is that I think that both of the poems are about ambiguity and ambivalence. And in the first poem, it was a really energetic it was like a really powerful, like, kick you in the face ambivalent. And then this one is so much quieter. It's a little yeah. bit harder to hear. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, now I'm going to, I really don't want to sound like Tim Fitz in any way. Um, <laughs> but this time, the I tells, the choices of what to I tell is real hard for me. I, I don't know what she's, why she's I telling what she's I tell. And in the last one, they were, they were, the craft was huge. You know, it seemed like there was great thought. And this one seems, uh, I can't follow the decisions yeah. with the forward flashes and the eye And also, as well as I did in the other poem. On that moment, too, or on that note, too, like even in the last stanza, <laughs> she uses the double colon, even that. It's like, I'm not, yes, yeah. I, I agree with you, but I'm not quite sure what she wants me to focus on with that right so, right yeah. they're distracting to me this time tim so that poem had forward slashes this one's got two yeah isn't that the time i mean like with fiction writers if you're going to use an exclamation point it's like like once every 50 pages or something or maybe i mean you got to use yeah. them every once in a while right i mean sometimes maybe just one a book i mean it's you can't yeah that's anything. different though i don't know if you can compare those two things. i don't know why these are here I don't that's, know why these are here. I, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I did feel them in the first poem. And this one, they mm -hmm. seem a little more random, or at least I'm not following the logic of choice. Let me call it. Yeah. I don't think it's random, but I do think that. I'm just oh, I don't think it. she meant them to be yes. random. Yes. I'm saying I don't see the intent. Yes. And so therefore they jump out at me in a negative way. Whereas in the last one, they seemed more organic to the poem. And yes. passenger side and hand rents, do they need to have dashes there? Handrance might. Handrance might pass on your side. Yeah. It's just a lot of those little yeah, things. Yeah, that, little choices. I, I would just, one word. I would, um, I would describe this poem um, in the words of like my generation as doing the most. Um, <laughs> being, it's just, it, it's doing, it's doing a lot. And it's not doing everything for me in the good way. Um, I mean, for all the reasons you guys have already pointed out, we have the slashes and the italics and all of the everything. But um, 
for some, I mean, this, um, like television in America, I'm sorry, but that bothers me. Um, it, it's like, like it was, the poem was like trying really hard to be, um, we had all the imagery because we were saying we had the imagery happening here. And then we had like television in America and I felt like I was reading um, what was more like a paper or a journalism mm-hmm. piece with that statement. It just oh. it felt like it didn't fit to me. Um, yeah. So when it came, it just kind of, it just kind of threw me. Um, and that might be minor, but I just, I was, you know, that just really threw me off all the way. Um, and I think also, um, actually, can I, mm-hmm, go ahead. That thing, I think the, in America, I think, I mean, you probably still don't like it. Cause <laughs> like if it were American but, television, but like television, cause television generally ends bad because you get hooked and then you don't need to finish it. Right. There's no need to finish it. Right. So, but predictable. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I just don't like the way it sounds. I understand what you're um, saying. Even though it made me laugh aloud, it did seem incongruous with the rest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, I understand what she's saying. You know, in the beginning of the marriage was better. And when you have all that hope and possibility and potentiality, you never expect it was like a, <laughs> the like, petered out ending, right? She really wanted in there. Like she really wanted that point in there. Yeah. So she just included it, but like yeah. it just didn't fit. I get it. And it's I get it's an analogy to marriage but I also get what you're saying about it saying seeming again like there's a sort of lack of organic flow to this was there a more um like was there a subtler way that she could have included that you know yeah make it just as a concept yeah um it just feels a little like thrown together um I think I feel like and obviously this is extrapolation I feel like this poem this poet wanted to write a poem about her marriage and divorce but she wasn't even quite sure of what she wanted to write about and therefore this it was very hard I feel like this poem was very hard for the poet to write and so because of that it's very hard for us to read it if that makes sense I think if there's anything that bores me more than other people's marriages, it's their divorce. <laughs> because avor- divorce is really, and I don't mean, and no judgment on this, really, but I mean, it's a cliche that every marriage takes work. And it's always interesting to find out how people do make things work. And I find when I talk about people's divorce, okay, yeah, I get it, you couldn't get along. And I'm not, I'm not personally, I mean, that's another personal how I come to the poem. I wouldn't vote yes or no based on this issue. But it, to me, it's a not, a, not a very fascinating subject. Okay. I think that unlike tattoos, marriages are like snowflakes. <laughs> Each one is individual, as are their divorces. So people don't just divorce because they can't get along. Although many, many people have tattoos of angel wings on their back. Right. So (laughs) right. There's a uniqueness to each marriage that that I'm not I'm not on in Tim's camp with that. Does that make me about this wedding? I think (laughs) I think topically like marriage and divorce is fine to write a poem on. I just don't think that I think that this poem is like Cherie said, doing the most or trying too hard. You know, yeah. I just think it's, and that's why it doesn't feel organic, right? Because the poet is struggling 
Yeah, I guess I'm more interested in how it falls apart, and I don't see that here. No, yeah, we don't have a how. Yeah, Yeah, just that it did. But that it did. Okay. Yeah. It's very, yeah. in some ways, vague. Yeah. I don't think it was like, I don't think that was supposed to be a major part of it, though. No, yeah, so. me either. I think the whole thing is just about the wedding, and like then, what the like, expectations yeah, yeah. and Her role expectations. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of potential in this poem. Yes. I would love Shayla Lawson to take another crack or two, or maybe this is the I one mean, that belongs clearly. to these three poems. I don't know. <laughs> that when you, when you read her poems, clearly she's doing a lot with language and she has a good idea what she wants to do with language. Yeah. And it's not one of those poems you look at and you think, oh, this is, this is lazy writing. It's not not at writing. all. Yeah. No, it's very strong. Yeah. Very strong. Yeah. Um, listen, listen to the podcast. <laughs> all right, team. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll tell her to, I'm sure she'll listen. Uh, are we ready to vote, team? Okay. We are. All right. One, two, three, vote. <laughs> All right. This one did not make it. So uh, Shayla's uh, one and two. Is that what yeah. you can say? One and two. Yeah. But the podcast uh, is one and one. oh, uh, one and one. Two and three. Oh, I should not even try to go to sports. <laughs> not try to go to math. One. Well, in football, which is the only sport I give a shit about. I don't know. All right. So what a great, what a great podcast this was. Um, I'm going to be really selfish. I just need to talk for a minute. So NPR is doing a, um, a podcast campaign in the month of March. We never know when we're going to release these. So this may not even be released during the month of March, but I'm just going to try already to say that I would like everybody to continue to use the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y pod, and share with others the podcast that you're enjoying. Um, loyal listeners will know that I listen to a lot and I, um, and I love them very much. <laughs> and um, I would love all of our listeners to hashtag tripod this one. But I want to keep talking for a minute here because... I'm in love with the voice of the man that puts me to sleep on a podcast called <laughs> Sleep With Me. That's not weird. I, oh my goodness. This is my, this is what I have to say. Any man that can put me to sleep with a smile on my face, right? I'm gonna love. So uh, the funniest thing, the thing that I think is so funny is I won't look him up. I have been every day, I think, today I'm going to Google this man you don't want to and see head. what voice this is, right? You, you, don't, want, you don't want to know. Who belongs to, to this voice? But I, I will not. I will just tell don't all of you, tune in to Sleep With Me podcast. You will not regret it. You will giggle as you drift off. <laughs> and it's a it's, it, it, What, darling? It's a, it's a sleeping podcast. It's a, it's a it's podcast, a podcast that is intended to help you go to sleep. And he's just so lovely and open-hearted. <laughs> and it really, the beginning of every show, he talks to you about the fact that he has struggled with insomnia, and that's why he does this. And, it, and then he just freaking meanders along. And there's something about his voice. It's just... And every night I think I'm not going to fall asleep because I'm enjoying this too much. And then the next thing I know, 
I'm I'm done. So I love him very much, and he's now joined a um uh, a podcast. Um, oh crap! What are those called? A network uh, called Farrell, and so he now has to um introduce another podcast. And I thought of Tim because what he talked about last night was a new one called Dumb People Town. It's with the Scarborough Girl. Oh, all right. So Joe, our sound engineer, knows of this one. Oh, really? And and I have not even listened to it yet. But what made me think of Tim is that um, when my boyfriend discussed it, he said, uh, dumb people town, often the people live in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was great. So I'm going to hashtag tripod both of those, even though they are not on NPR. And I have not listened to Dumb People Town. And I'm going to ask, although Joe has given us a huge thumbs up on on that one, as well as the Sleep With Me guy. And um, so listen up to your podcasts. It's really the greatest thing while you're cleaning or folding laundry or driving or walking. And I know that takes up our headspace, but... There's something about having these podcasts that I'm really digging. Speaking of dumb people town, yeah, there's a troubling thing that's been happening in my life in the past week where Ooh. I've every day for the past week I have heard references either from friends or in popular culture to people who believe the earth is flat. Oh my goodness. And, oh my god, yeah. It's, it's a wave, know. it's a wave that's happening. And so listeners, you'll notice it too, now that now that I said this, anytime you hear of something, you start happening i think this is not a good this is not a good development in no. for the human race Very sad. um um don't we have pictures from space that show us the earth is round yeah you can't even go down that once you start saying that then there's there are dumb people in this world wow it's very it's it's painful to listen to yeah shaquille o'neal this weekend said that he doesn't believe that the earth is round because um there's another basketball player who said that and shaquille o'neal is like yeah Shaquille O'Neal was like, yeah, he's right. And also um, the rapper B.O.B. a few months ago got into a Twitter beef with Neil deGrasse Tyson over whether or not the world was flat. It got so bad that Neil um, went on, I want to say Jimmy Fallon, and he rapped about how the world is actually round. Um, So yeah, there are- Do any of these people people. live in Florida? They're scattered about? They're scattered among us? it's It's nice to know that I haven't heard that from people. Yes. Florida. <laughs> it's nice that the heat is taken off us for a little while. Well, listen, I would like all of our listeners, especially our Florida ones, um, to chime in on what you think of podcasts, um, PBQ, the poems we read today, our podcast in particular. So um, follow us on social media, share. Um, this show and others. And Jason, be so careful out there as you're driving. At least you're Thank only going you. to Virginia. Can you give us a honk? And I will I will take the brave position that the world is in fact round. <laughs> yeah. Well I will um, commit to that right now. Yeah, I think I vote yes on that one too. Thumbs up. The world's round. <laughs> Um, okay, listeners, keep uh, reading and listening. Thanks. Woo! Well done.